What's up, heroes? Today we have Heather Johnson, the CEO of 99 Lives, a record label which provides electronic music targeted at content creators. She also serves on the advisory board of the American Association of Independent Music, which advocates for the value of independent music rights holders. In this wide-ranging interview, we talk about why 99 Lives is different from other record labels, challenges of running a label, ideas for improving your Spotify calls to action, and the difference between the RIAA and A2IM. This episode was actually recorded last April, but due to a super secret announcement at the end of the episode, I couldn't release it until now. But before we begin, cue the intro music. All right, Heather, welcome to the Producer Life Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to, to chat with you. I am very excited to have you here. You're uh, one of the first couple of uh, label owners that we've had on here, and, and 99 Lives is certainly well known to the uh, audience of the Producer Life Podcast. Uh, tell me about how, how things started for you. How did your uh, love of electronic music originally come about? Um, so my background with music's different. Um, I grew up playing the violin and I started when I was eight. Yeah, no, I started when I was eight. I also played the viola and for a long time I was convinced that's what I was going to do with my life. And um, I mean, we poured tons of money into it. I went and did lessons. I was part of the Phoenix Symphony Guild, um, traveled. And then when I got into college, I got through like my first two semesters of my performance degree. And I just realized how much, uh, going to school for it just drained it, and so I ended up leaving it for engineering. And because um, I like math, a dramatic change. It's a really weird change, but I really liked math, and uh, it was math and music. And so I was like, "Well, what do you do with math um, that isn't like theoretical mathematics or physics?" And they're like, "You can do engineering." I was like, "That sounds like fun." So I was studying electrical engineering, um, and in my, I had like a semester and a half left. And I reconnected with Nate Beck, who actually is one of the founders of the label, actually who I went to high school with. And he was telling me that he had started up this label. And he sent me uh, like three of the Approaching Nirvana tracks and a couple other tracks. And I was like, this is not what I listen to, man. Like I listen to Rise Against and Rage Against the Machine. And he's like, no, 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 it's really great. Um, so I downloaded it. I listened to them. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And, and it only took like, it probably took two, three plays. And then to see you, which is on press start became like an earworm and it's an approaching Nirvana song. And it got stuck in my head. <laughs> and I think I listened to that thing on repeat for like good two weeks. Um, and at the time I was doing a career experience at Apple who I was working for at the time. Um, I was doing software development um, in their ICT department. And it just, that became kind of one of my soundtracks. And, and at that point I started exploring more into uh, EDM and mo mostly progressive house and future based. And I kind of found like it was like the perfect music to listen to while I was doing software development. Um, anyway, kind of long story short, short with Nate, Nate and I reconnected and we ultimately began dating. Um, and I kind of watched the label evolve over a course of one to two years. And then I started becoming involved. Uh, I love music, but I really 
didn't want to do anything in the like the performance or creation side of it because it kind of drained that for me. And I started just taking care of like the metadata, handling like the logistics of releases um, and did that for some time. Uh, the label was bootstrapped. And while it was in the black, it, you know, labels don't make a lot of money in their first couple. I take that back in their first decade. It's rare that a label will be in the black. And, um, you know, they couldn't pay me. So I ended up moving on to work for Mixer. Um, I don't know if you know much about Mixer. Uh, was that the Microsoft streaming platform? Yeah. So okay. they they originally were called Beam. Um, and it was just a startup by these these two kids, James and uh, James Bowman, Matt Salsamendi. Um, very brilliant. Very brilliant guys. Uh, they created this low latency. Well, RTMP video protocols are low latency in general, but they created a modification of it that made it a little bit more scalable. And they got picked up by Microsoft. So I went and worked there for a little bit and um, had some fun with it. Uh, it was it was tough to watch it end the way it did because the people there were so kind and passionate about what they did. Uh, but ultimately, I just, I, I saw the writing on the wall and I decided to leave. And Nate was just like, well, we really need someone to kind of run the label. And I was like, ooh, music? I don't mind. Um, so in October 2019, I took over as CEO and I got a crash course in everything that it's required to run a label and run one with pretty much one person, half an A&R person, and an animator. <clears throat> so that's wow. kind of how I landed at 99 Lives. And I love it so much. And uh, it has definitely been an experience, though, with the crash <laughs> course piece of it. Yeah. Okay. So so for anybody out there that's thinking about running a label, what's what have been some of the biggest lessons you've learned over the last year that you've been doing about well, two years that you've been doing it now. Mm -hmm. So this question's come up a couple of times because I, you know, I, I've been working with A2IM, which is the American Association for Independent Music. Um, I picked up a mentor. I applied for the mentorship program and I actually lucked out and got Tony Kewell from Sub Pop. <clears throat> and he, he kind of gave me the, I don't know how it's like this. He was the one that gave me the crash course on the music side of the business. Cause I interested the gaming and streaming and the sync licensing component, but I didn't really get like the traditional um, music industry, like promotion and um, where to, you know, submit if I wanted to get onto radio, what services were used for royalty payment. If I wanted to move away from our self-built tech and, you know, buy something else, um, you know, short link services, um, everything that came from just like the logistics of where you keep your metadata and where you store everything and which distributors are better. He gave me everything with those. Um, and my, one of the things that I got from him was just like, it's really hard to do it on your own. So if you can find yourself a mentor, this running a label, there's so many people jumping at it because the impression is, is like, cool, I'll get a district account, district kid account, a label account, and I'll just throw music up there. Um, <clears throat> but it's not that easy. There's so much more to it. You have to be able to pay out your artists and track royalties. And if you at all are deciding to jump into the realm of making music safer content creators, you now are also a publisher. Um, so you need to find yourself a mentor who understands publishing because publishing extends beyond just the country you're in. It's, it's worldwide. And they're very few services that will help you collect worldwide. Um, and even knowing where to register or how to get your IPI as a publisher, um, how to guide your artists who may not know that they're also writers and composers that deserve that side of the money. Um, it's, there's a lot to it. And 
having a mentor, somebody that's willing to answer your questions and remind you when you're up for 16 hours trying to handle releases or fix an error in the registrations I'm publishing that it's completely worth it. Um, it's not always going to be like this, but it's, you know, sometimes you're going to have 16 hour days and you're going to pull your hair out. I've cried a couple times. I'll be honest. Um, <clears throat> but if you're passionate about the music, passionate about your artists, it's 100% worth it. Awesome. Okay. So I, I guess I'm curious, uh, tell me, for some of the listeners that are not familiar with 99 Lives, what what distinguishes you from other electronic labels? So we were founded with the idea of solving the problem for content creators on YouTube. So just like Andrew has allowed content creators to use his music, we allow content creators to use our music in exchange for attribution. And so the goal there was to provide a library of, you know, not to say production music is 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 bad, but it's not necessarily commercially released music, right? So if you take something you would be willing to listen to in a playlist or on the radio and then made it available to a content creator, that was the goal, right? Um, where, where and, they can still monetize the videos. Right, exactly. And to, and to remember, there's a whole amount of money there that could go to our artists. Um, and every single one of our artists is aware of what we do. And they understand that they're never going to see that. Um, but they're, a lot of them are super excited about the gaming and streaming industry. And some of them have even picked up streaming since meeting us. Um, <clears throat> but that was that was what we were there to do and the other piece of it too is we're kind of the quirky underdog and we like video games and robots um we've got a good self you know sense of ourselves and sense of humor about who we are and um we're a bunch of nerds and we just we really <laughs> love kind of cool out there different types of edm and uh we experiment with a lot of subgenres and Every single one of our album covers has a robot on there with pink headphones and it's themed after a video game. So that's, that's who we are. And that's what we do. Awesome. And, and I was going to compliment you guys. The, uh, the graphics that you guys have on YouTube are, are amazing. Who, who is your graphic artist and, and give them a shout out. Cause yeah, phenomenal. So Trey Moya is our animator. He works part-time for us. We are his fifth job. I think um, <clears throat> he is. I mean, I don't really know other way to say it other than he's like God tier. Um, he's also really good at trials and destiny. So like, it's like he's put on this earth to do two things. And that is to animate and to just dominate in trials and destiny. Um, <laughs> but you can find him. Uh, we try to give him credit uh, in our description. I'm not always great about it, but he sometimes shows up to the premieres as well. You can find him under Yo Houdini on Twitter, um, Instagram. And on Steam, and he's just he sticks with it. I think, and he's told me this multiple times. I've given him an out. It's like we can find another animator. I know we're your fourth job, and you know he's crazy busy, uh, but he does it because he he loves the the robots and the creativity that comes with it. His day job, he does animations for sports teams, and while that can be fun at times, it's, it's the same thing over and over again. And with with our stuff, we just kind of let him go ham he gets free reign to do whatever he thinks would be cool. And uh, he's incredible. Okay. Well, I, I will definitely link to him because again, it, it looks terrific and, and it is well-branded and has a, a common theme and yeah, it looks, looks great. So um, um, go oh, ahead. Sorry to be clear though. He's, he's our animator. Our artwork is actually done by Matt Hubbell and you can find him as Matt Hubble art on all social and YouTube. And we've been doing um, 
artwork reveal videos where he goes through the process and he has a time lapse of the creation of the art. So he's done our, our actual art art since uh, album 85. And then prior to that, it was Evan Eckerd. So if you're looking okay. for the art, that's those two. And then Trey is our animator. Awesome. All right. Um, so you mentioned a few minutes ago, it's it's unusual for a label to, to make any money before the first 10 years. And, and you mm-hmm. were explaining how uh, 99 lives, you know, you, you guys are solving this problem for content creators on YouTube by providing music that they can use for free, um, and still monetize the videos themselves. So I, I guess part of what I'm wondering is where, how, how do you pay your, you and your staff salary? How do you pay? What's the profit model here? Cause the artists aren't receiving anything, but, um, how do you guys keep the lights on? So we do uh, a royalty split with all of our artists. And so most of our money comes from digital royalties through Spotify, through Pretzel Rocks, um, Apple Music, anywhere that you listen to music, that's typically where. Um, Alternatively, uh, sync opportunities. So we Mm -hmm. had placement in games like Synth Riders. Um, Just Shades and Beats has some of our music. Um, We've also appeared on Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Um, Wow, all right. mm -hmm. And so uh, that's where we get most of our money. Um, And we do split that with the artists and the writers and the composers. Um, We make sure they're properly compensated every quarter. Uh, It's not a a ton. Um, We try our best to find other ways to promote our artists and make sure they kind of become more well-known in the space. Um, We've had several artists that have been kind of plucked out of our roster by Monster Cat and NCS, which is good for them. Like we, that's something we kind of strive for is we, try to find <clears throat> try to find artists that are still growing and mm-hmm. might need just kind of like that booster leg up to get to the next label to the next level so okay what what do you mean so for somebody that's not familiar with it how do you what do you mean by plucked out of your roster because it seems like at, at least some of the artists that i looked on your roster you know they've got some some tracks through you guys but it's not like their entire catalog of music is with you guys what does that mean to be pulled out of a roster for a different label yeah so we do sign on a per track and per ep basis um because we sign both sets of rights it can be considered a little uh intrusive and so we try not to take an entire artist catalog we don't want them to lose control of it so we sign a handful of them and then um monster cat and ncs will typically look through to see if they've released with us in the past um and grab them so we have i think like 45 different artists that have signed with us first and then they got they got picked up by monster cat or ncs and then have grown beyond us and we're that's actually something super exciting for us um we want our artists to be successful and being a stepping stone in that process just to get their music out there to get their name out there is a cool space to be part of to be someone that kind of discovered that artist first got a couple tracks out there and then have watched them grow that's amazing yeah i can imagine how that would be very rewarding so as you're looking for those up-and-coming artists what what do you listen for in their music when they sub- do most of your does most of your catalog come from submissions or does it come from you checking things out on Spotify and SoundCloud and then reaching out to them or is it some combination of both? It's a good combination of both. Um, we use Label Radar as our main submission portal. Um, artists that have submitted with us in the past have a direct email line of contact, but if you're a brand new artist, we do run everything through the Label Radar uh, portal, and that's actually been a really cool. A tool for discovery 
we were the second label, I believe, on Label Radar. Um, we had our own custom-built portal for a little bit, but it lacked some of the cool features that Label Radar has, which is like, you know, narrowing it down to specific subgenres and, um, you know, preview capability. We actually required a file upload versus <clears throat> you can't really download the file in Label Radar, which allows the artist to protect the file when they submit, which is great. Uh, so that's actually where we get most of our our new music. Uh, if you want to know more in depth about, you know, what we're looking for, that is actually Ryan McKay, my A&R. He does a part-time for me. That's his department. He's also one half of one of our artists uh, known as Made Monster. And Ryan, basically his, his rule of thumb is it is long as it's good like he looks for high quality production he looks for a unique sound um, another piece too is that anything with sample packs um, like a, not necessarily like an individual sound but like a loop we, we can't accept because it actually creates all kinds of fun issues for content creators in the content id systems um, so anything with like a sample loop or a vocal pack we, we can't accept um, so as long as it's high quality um, it's you know got a good unique sound and not include any sort of sample pack it'll typically be picked up by us <clears throat> okay great uh th this is the first time i've heard of label radar can you yeah. talk a little bit more about that technology and and what that does for you yeah 100 so label radar basically they came in an era when there was more labels like us where um where we were signing on a, on a per single basis, right? Or a per EP basis. Like we weren't necessarily looking to, at the time, sign a particular artist and make them commit a certain amount of their catalog to us. And then in return, we would, you know, what get their profiles verified, which we try to do with our artists when we can anyway, right? Um, and so, you know, how do you handle like individual submission and that conversation where you protect the artists and their assets, but, you know, also allow them to communicate with the label um, where they're not giving away too much personal information at first. And so Label Radar created that. And uh, it's kind of a cool little community. They've also now built out the uh, remix competition portals, which they do for free as long as you have an account with them, which is absolutely amazing. It's probably the most streamlined remix competition platform I've ever seen. Um, and the team there is exceptionally responsive to feedback, right? If Even if it's not something or a feature they're looking to build out, they'll explain why, right? But for the most part, every conversation I've ever had with Derek, the CEO, or, or their business biz dev team, that feature has usually been implemented. Um, they're wonderful. But yeah, Label Radar is a submission portal, and it's one that allows you to protect your assets, um, protect your information, and have a conversation uh, with an artist or or a label, um, just start that initial conversation. And the other piece too, is it's not just an email address where you don't know if someone is listening or paying attention, or if they've even acknowledged that you've emailed them. Like it, it gives you, it's the person that's on there, the label person that's on there, the A&R team, they're looking for music 100%, right? So that's, that's their goal. That's what they're doing. It's not just some email address where they kind of occasionally like jump through. It is the purpose of finding music. So you'll, you'll typically get a response of some sort. Okay. As you're describing this, I think, I think actually I have an account with label radar. I think they were the yeah. ones that were running the Tiesto Beatport um, remix contest. Yes. Recently. Yep. That's them. okay. Yep. 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 All right. So free to sign up for 
for from a musician perspective. So uh, not really a downside for producers and DJs to create an account because you can find nope. lots of remix opportunities and submit to a multitude of labels. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. Um, so let's back up for a minute and go, go back mm-hmm. to kind of 99 Lives because the label radar is sort of the technology that you use to help find new artists. Um, you talked about 99 Lives' role in, in developing artists. What do you guys do to help grow new artists? So that's kind of shifted over the years. Um, you know, when we originally were founded, we had a YouTuber um, who still is, is a part owner. Um, he was heavily promoting uh, each and every release, right? Um, and we found that that wasn't really scalable, Um especially as we shift it from downloads in the music industry to streaming platforms. Cause we were, we were basically, we were there for that. Um, and you were basically trying to, what the call to action at the time was go download this from iTunes. And for every download, we got a good amount of money um, and it got split between the artists and us that shifted with streaming where, I mean, it could take thousands of plays to equal one download. And uh, so the call to action then became like, go to Spotify or go to Apple Music. And so we had to kind of find other ways to add value to the artist experience. So what we've recently started doing is a lot of like the social promotion and with the drive of taking our audience and getting them to follow the artist. And not only just on like Spotify or uh, Apple Music, but also like on Instagram and Twitter, which is where most artists that are DIY and starting out post their releases, post their pre-save links. Uh, So the goal has been trying to take and transfer our audience and make them um, the audience of the artist, Um, which is interesting because you're you're more traditional label, right? You, You start out where the artist has an audience. The, the label doesn't typically have an audience or a following. There's only been really um, a handful of labels that have really grown their brand. Monster Cat being one of the best at it. Sub Pop has done it. Um, NCS has done it where you get fans of the label that look for music from the label versus look for music from a particular artist. Um, we've done that to a certain extent and we're trying to find ways to take that and positively transfer it over to the artist. Um, So a lot of it's been social promotion, marketing. We have a campaign coming up where we're going to do a TikTok campaign and filter and Mm -hmm. try to actually um, drive a trend there. Uh, TikTok is a really incredibly difficult platform to, to push anything up because the team there, the team there is incredible, but you, it's all about human psychology and you don't really know how an audience is going to react. You have a vision of what you suspect it's going to do, but uh, the, how that's actually going to play out is almost never how you picture it. So we're interested to see how that one goes. Uh, but it's really about developing the artist's audience in a way that sets them up for success for future releases that may not be for, with us. Okay. You, one of the promotion tools that you mentioned uh, just briefly that a lot of artists use are pre-saves. And mm-hmm. uh, I recently took a entrepreneur course on um, Spotify and they talked about pre-saves and the Spotify algorithm. And, and, and they were arguing that basically pre-saves were overrated from a perspective of the Spotify algorithm because 
the people that are going to pre-save your track without hearing it are already your fans, which means they're probably already going to get it on their new release Friday. And so Spotify doesn't seem to really value pre-saves as much. And and I was I was just curious um, if you have thoughts about uh, the Spotify algorithm or you know promoting music on Spotify and the best ways to do that. So Spotify is um, it's its own special piece, and it's something that I think probably not only us but most of the labels like Tony from Sub Pop uh, they have. They probably spend at least a quarter of their week each week trying to dissect the algorithm, the changes to the algorithm, and how it functions and works. Spotify is very tight-lipped about the algorithm, mm-hmm. um, and as, and it makes sense, right? They they want to protect the integrity of the recommendation engine. If you find out a way to manipulate it, you can't protect that anymore for your consumer base. And if you start recommending things to your consumer base that don't make sense, they stop using your platform. Right. So it makes sense why they're super tight lipped about it. It's frustrating because it makes it difficult to set up our releases for success. But um, it's interesting because Spotify, you have to remember Spotify things like a like a DSP, right? They're digital service provider and their main customer isn't necessarily the artist or the label. Uh, That's the product that they're, you know, presenting their main customer are their customers, right? So they look at it from that perspective. And they're right, right? If someone has never heard a song, are they likely to pre-save it? Probably not. But we don't promote the pre-save in a vacuum, right? When we we promote the pre-save, we promote it alongside a clip of the song um, with some animation from the upcoming video, uh, with the artwork. Um, We also have done things where we've done AMAs and we've clipped in the music behind it and given little teases. Uh, We also, when we do the artwork reveal videos, we include the upcoming first release of that new compilation album in the music, right? So it's not promoted in a vacuum, right? It's promoted alongside an asset that gives you a clip or a preview of the song to kind of build up excitement and hype around it. So, you know, if you were to just drop the pre-save link and not provide any sort of music or asset alongside, chances of you capturing a brand new audience are, in fact, very much slim. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I get what they're saying. I don't necessarily agree because most labels, most artists um, almost always include an asset that allows them to preview and hear the, a clip of the music along with the pre-save link. Um, <clears throat> pre-save links, you know, with regards to the algorithm, that one, it's a little more nuanced. So, of, of course, you know that if you get a release out on Friday, it'll show up on the release radar. Um, so typically we do Friday releases or Thursday releases for that to try to get it, capture it right around the release date. Uh, that drives, that can drive more traction to your page and to listen to potentially other music. Um, obviously for them to save it to a playlist is a call to action uh, with a lot of pre-save or with short link services like Feature M creates an action page where you can actually say like, not only are you saving it, but you're going to put it in a playlist, right? <clears throat> and we do stuff where we promote it and say like, hey, this belongs in your hype playlist or this belongs in your gaming playlist. We kind of give an, mm-hmm. a suggestion to the audience base uh, about where not only like should you save it and add it to your library, but, you know, put it in this playlist. This is where it belongs. So we put it in our playlist here. 
But the algorithm, what we suspect from the research that we've done, that SubPop's done, that a lot of labels have done at 2AM, we suspect that a lot of it comes down to the artists that are recommended on not only editorial places, but playlists by just your average person, right? So if a Perch Nirvana gets put on a playlist with a lesso, um, and that happens quite frequently, then you'll start to see on the Spotify radio, which is where most of our money comes from is Spotify radio recommendations, um, you'll get grouped into those plays, right? So if you go to a lesser radio and spot in approaching Nirvana's in enough of those playlists along with the lesso, you may also start to see approaching Nirvana songs pop up in those recommend, like those ones that are built by the algorithm. Yeah. Their algorithm recognizes that these are associated or similar Correct. artists with, with similar sort of, uh, popularity scores on the platform. Right. Which is why editorial playlisting, because the editorial playlists we suspect are, are not part of that algorithm because they're curated by hand by the editorial staff. Um, while it might get you plays for the one to two weeks that it's on it, it's not necessarily going to dip the needle too much in the way of the algorithm other than increasing the popularity of the track, which can also affect the algorithm. But it's not like when you start getting it into playlists of general consumers, because the general consumer data is what really drives the algorithm. Okay. When you're talking to, to newer artists, what advice do you give them in terms of marketing and branding or, or to, to what degree do you get into that from a artist development perspective? So we try to provide some guidance um, on some of our newer artists. We do meet established artists that have established voices and brands um, that may or may not only just need some small tweaking with regards to like how they have their social profiles set up. Um, with the more established artists, we do get questions about like playlist pitching and using playlist pitching services. That's one of the biggest ones I get from more established artists. And then uh, asking about like Facebook and Instagram ads. Um, it's tough because so many playlist pitching services offer and guarantee plays. And if you ever see that, that is something you should potentially walk away from. Um, Spotify is very tech savvy. <laughs> they catch playlists all the time that pay for plays um, or offer, you know, you can pay them for plays or in placement. Uh, they shut them down quickly. And if your music is caught in enough of them, they will take you, your music down and getting it back up on stores is uh, have varying levels of difficulty depending on your distributor. Um, we have this happen with a release on TuneCore before we switched to Fuga. And it took six months to get that release back on stores. It was only on stores for like three weeks. It got, the artist was really excited, paid for a service to get it placed, didn't realize that they were actually botting those playlists. Um, the whole EP came down, went down for six months. Um, and we finally got it back up and we never got paid for a single play. They considered all of them fraudulent. Wow, okay. Mm -hmm. Good cautionary tale. Right. So that's one thing, like with the more established artists who understand and know their brand, have their social game down, they're now looking for ways to optimize each release and make sure it gets placed. Um, you know, be cautious where anything guarantees you a minimum number of plays, that there's a lot of them out there. Um, it can ultimately burn your relationship with your distributor, because if your distributor gets burned by their relationship with um, the storefront, they'll drop you. And the, the other one is Instagram and Facebook ads only go so far. Um, you can get pretty, 
you can you can get pretty savvy with regards to targeting your audience, but it's still not a guarantee that they're going to interact with the posts. They, what Facebook and Instagram do is just guarantee eyes, right? So how are you going to turn those eyes into an engagement or interaction? Uh, typically, you want to make sure you have some sort of pretty clear call to action in the post. You want to make sure that it's visually you know appeasing. Uh, typically, an animation or video element, something that's intriguing or fun or or colorful. Um, you know, needs to be included in it, something that's going to basically stop them from scrolling. Um, but keep in mind that, like, don't don't rely on Facebook and Instagram ads um, unless you have a really good asset to promote. It's not going to move the needle either. Yeah. New artists. Uh, the biggest one there is most of our artists that are, are newer. They hop between releasing with us or some other small labels and uh doing it themselves through, you know, distributors like DistroKid or TuneCore. Um, for them, it's a lot of like logistical. So for example, recently we started using SongTrust to manage our publishing um, and they're fantastic. The cool thing about SongTrust is that they do have, you know, large publisher accounts where they handle the admin work, um, but they also do direct writer uh, accounts. So you as a writer can sign up using SongTrust, and they will incorporate you into their worldwide deals. They help you get registered with a PRO in your local area, and then it's very easy to register your works across the board, not just with the PROs worldwide, but also the mechanical licensing uh, services worldwide. So a lot of what I do for newer artists is try to educate them that they are also, in fact, writers and composers, that they should be collecting on that. Um, I'll help them get registered with the PRO, um, and if, you know, I have a deal going with SongTrust. I try to get them account with SongTrust um, and just educate them on the other sides of making sure that they collect uh, the full breadth of what essentially owed to them as a creator. Okay. You, that that sounds like a very, uh, I see how you could work 16 hour days because you've got, yes. <laughs> I think, I think yeah. you said you had 44 artists on your roster right now. No, 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 no. I have, um, I have over 500 people that I am beholden to. Writers, Five, composers, 500, artists. okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right. Mm -hmm. So 500 different artists. We don't have that long in today's podcast, but are, <laughs> are there a couple of are, are there a couple of artists that you'd like to highlight that have interesting story or recent releases or anything that you'd like to talk about? Uh, yeah. Um, so the most recent release was our first one um, of Shadow, 75 Shadow Dance. So in, in case... I hadn't explained it before. We do compilation albums. So we release, you know, singles. Um, we do 12 to 15 per cycle and then release it as a compilation album with an album mix on YouTube and SoundCloud. So the very first track of every album is a big, huge deal because we reveal the artwork, we reveal the title. Um, our community kind of gets excited and rallied around it. Uh, so our first one is a, a fairly new producer. Uh, his name is Tyraz, T-E-Y-R-A-Z. Um, and the release was Satori Reach. And I've actually kind of really, I'm really intrigued by this particular producer. Um, Brian handles most of the A&R. So about the time that I submit the track is when I first, you know, get a chance to listen to it. And um, I have to check for things like silence at the end and just making sure it's, you know, mixed and mastered properly. Uh, and so when I first heard it, I sat there and I stared at Fuga Portal and just listened to it for the full like three and a half minutes. Normally I listen to it while I'm doing other work and I just kind of stop. It's a really cool, unique track. Um, and it, and his other his other releases are very similar in that vein. Like it's almost like you go on this journey with 
with the producer because it's not like your standard, you know, you have your build and then you have your drop and then your bridge and you have a drop and then your end. It's like has probably three different styles, um, one being almost like a tribal sound to it throughout mm -hmm. the entire piece. Uh, so I'm really excited. Um, I've added him to my follow list on Spotify and added a couple of his other releases to my playlist. Um, and I'm really excited to see what else he does. I'm hoping that he, you know, considers submitting with us again. Uh, I'd like to see more of his stuff. Um, but really cool uh, new guy. I highly recommend you take a look at. Um, I'm always going to be an advocate for Andrew. Like, Andrew... Mm -hmm. I adore Andrew from Approaching Nirvana. Um, not only is he just an exceptionally talented writer, composer, artist, but he gets the business. And he is somebody that, and I know he may not have time, but if you ever manage to sneak in him as a mentor, he, he gets it. Um, and he understands how difficult it is from top to bottom, from the legal to the registrations, to tracking your royalties, to doing your taxes, um, to even you know maintaining the metadata of your own music and making sure you're aware of which distributor, which label it belongs to. Um, and then promotion, right? He gets it all. So, and his music is just always, I don't know, moving. That's the only way I can explain it. And he yeah. just has a talent across the board for so many different styles, uh, including cinematic. He's got a knack for cinematic. So it'd be really cool to see him eventually, you know, write music for movies. Yeah, um, I noticed. Um, and, and a lot of his remixes are amazing as well. In fact, uh, I yeah. just noticed before this podcast, he just dropped a Mortal Kombat <laughs> remix. Yes. Go listen to that. It's really good. I got the, the email this morning at 6 a.m. and I woke up and I immediately downloaded it. So. Uh, it's really good. Yeah, <laughs> so, yep. he was he was on the podcast a while back, and uh, I'll I'll link that in the show notes. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that conversation. So, uh, who who else has an interesting story behind him? A couple of the other ones I really love. It's tough because one of them hasn't released in a while. Um, but Northern Born is another one of probably like I'm not allowed to play favorites, but I also can't help it. Sometimes I play favorites. He has this knack for. It's almost like a glitch hop meets electric electro house style. Okay. Um, it is incredibly cool for video games. It's got a really good, happy vibe, but at the same time, like these heavy bass drops. Uh, so Northernborn, though, he um, he's all over. He's been all over the world, and um, he's just he's also streams. He's just kind of a cool lumberjack Canadian vibe about him. And he has been, he basically picked up producing because someone handed him a Mac with like Logic Pro on it and was just like, this seems kind of cool. And he's just one of those people that really kind of understands music theory. And he just started delving into it and uh, just started creating music for kicks and giggles. And it's done really well. So we have quite a few of his catalog. Um, he, I, he's another one that I'm excited to see what comes of him next. He has taken a year off though. So, but you should check out his stream. He's just kind of a, a chill dude and he has that humor that um like things will just slip out of his mouth and you just do a double take and you're like oh he's messing with me uh so <laughs> i don't i don't really explain it i like to i i tend to lurk in his streams and he doesn't do music production streams he, he actually plays video games 
Um, he has his branding just built out so beautifully. He decided to embrace his Canadian background and and do the whole lumberjack vibe. He hired an artist to build out his little avatar. It's who we use in our artwork when we commission artwork for his EPs. Um, but he's somebody if like if you're looking for someone that really understands like the look of a brand and the clean look and embracing it um, and that voice that comes with it, he's a good person to look at. And then the last one, all of mine are, are all of my like newer artists are just kind of people that are just like, oh yeah, this looks like fun, and then just happen to have a knack for it. Um, and I don't know if that's a good narrative because it's not how that always works. But mm-hmm. uh, Flero is another one, and Flero, F L E R O. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So Flero, he was another one. Um, he was going to school for, I think, computer science. He switched it since then. And he downloaded, I think, Logic once. I was just like, this sounds like fun. Um, and he started doing some weird sound design things. And he, like, picking up sounds in his environment and then warping them. Like, he does all of his own sound design. He has never, he didn't discover sample packs until way later down the road. And uh, he just gets, like, that good kind of club head bobbing vibe and he understands it. He also is someone that likes to experiment. So one of his tracks he took for Elise and flipped it the other way. And that's the the, the chord progression he used. Um, he also, I was kind of reminiscing in our discord about how it'd be kind of cool to see more synth wave on the label. And he's like, okay. And a week later he had a, a whip for me. That was really good. We ended up signing it. Yeah. I was just like, who is this kid? So, and uh, Ryan explained to me, he's like, oh, we'd signed him a while back. And, you know, he's, he's kind of a cool kid that hangs out in the Discord. And we started signing more with him. And he has now been picked up by Substaries of Uprise. And he had a release go out on Friday as well. Um, I think Future House Cuts picked him up. Like, he's just kind of blown up in the past year or so. So we haven't signed anything with him in about a year. But, he comes into the discord and still hangs out and um i love that i i'm realizing like i i love our artists they're just they all have interesting stories they all have interesting backgrounds jay far is another one that's recently just out of this world blown up he's done production for um He's working with Skrillex at one point, like, and wow. he still comes, yeah, and he still comes into the Discord and just pops his head in from time to time and asks everyone how they're doing. Um, you know, we're not a huge label. He doesn't have to do that. Um, but he always checks in with us once every six months to see how everyone is. And uh, he's just had a really cool story of, you know, starting with us with self-releases to now, you know, working in the background for production for just insane artists and um if there's anybody that I could like give a high five to right now in the midst of this, I wish it was him because he's just really worked his butt off to get where he is. I'm kind of imagining that it's this feeling sort of like a school teacher would get when they see the kids go off to college and then they stop back by years later to say hi and say, Hey, thanks for, you know, real impact on my life. And that's, that's gotta be the best feeling. It's very much that Um, I could probably go on and on about almost all of our artists that way they've just it's really kind of cool to watch them grow beyond you and and a lot of them did it themselves like diy nose to the grind 
just they did it themselves. Yeah. The music industry in general, especially in the EDM world, is pretty unforgiving. Um, so a lot of them, a lot of our producers and our artists, you know, to get anywhere, move up, end up being on their own. You mentioned your Discord channel a couple of times. Is that just for artists or is that for people also who are interested in, in the label? It's for everybody. Yep. So okay. mm-hmm. uh, we, it's been pretty quiet as of recent. We've been doing a lot of rebuilding on our admin work for the past year. So we haven't put a lot of focus into it. That being said, if you go in there at any point in time, you will get a friendly face. So okay. well, our community is uh, very embracing. I'll uh, include a link to that uh, yeah. that Discord server. You mentioned a while back an acronym that was new to me. You said A2IM. What is what is that? Yeah. So A2IM is the American Association for Independent Music. Um, have you ever heard of the RIAA? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> Usually yes. followed by a curse word. <laughs> yes, so 100%. I, yeah. So the RIAA is... is we're kind of like that, but for independence. And the the biggest difference is, you know, the R, I'm not going to talk bad about the RA, but they have <laughs> members that are the bigger members and they, they drive a lot of the direction for the RIAA. And that makes sense because they are the majority membership holding in the RIAA. The RIAA's job is to advocate for the musicians and the labels that are part of their um, group. And A2M does something very similar. One of the things that's really interesting about being a trade org for an independent music sector is that our variety of labels and how they do business and how they function is just way wilder, right? Um, the majors, you know, they have a, they have variations in their deals, but the, the general deal term is you sign, you know, with the major. They, they pay in advance. You're committed to them for a certain period of time or a certain number of albums, um, and you fulfill that commitment, and you get paid your advance, and then you get paid out royalties once that advance has been, uh, you know, paid back, right? Artists, or sorry, labels within A2IM, we have models that vary widely. So we have uh, labels that have a more traditional model where they sign for a certain number of albums, they get a small advance up front and then a royalty split. And then, you know, they do the development and growth and the production of the label or of the album. And then you have, uh, you know, labels like us where, you know, we are in the development of the music process, but we sign it after the fact. Sometimes we'll add some pointers and some suggestions for mastering and mixing, but for the most part, the creativity components already been done. And so our job is to um, get the, the artists out there and get them known. And um, we don't pay advances, but we also give a more favorable split in royalties, right? Um, so there's nothing that has to be paid back. You know, if, if we don't make, if they don't make money, we don't make money, right? So we're driven to get the music out there as much as we can, because we want to see the money come in. And that serves both the artists and us. Um, not saying one model is better than the other. They are, they serve different purposes and needs. So okay. um, <clears throat> the independent sector is just so different, right? And so whenever we sit down and uh, I'm on the advisory board, by the way, that's why we're talking about like, so whenever the board meets and we make decisions about, you know, whether or not we're going to support a particular bill, whether or not we're going to lobby to Congress about changes to a certain act, we have to keep in mind that our um, base is so wildly different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but our number one goal is to advocate for the value of the copyrights of the labels and the musicians that are part of A2IM. And that's what we do. Um, 
we also do things like in Indie Week, which is kind of like the packs or Twitch to the gaming industry. That's the equivalent in the music industry. It's where we put labels and rights holders in front of businesses and organizations and allow them to meet and talk about what they do. There's typically like 50 different panels talking about various subjects. I'm doing one on copyright in the Twitch and streaming industry. There's another one on NFTs that are one of our lawyers that we work with. Um, she's doing one on NFTs, Erin Jacobson. Um, and so Indie Week's all about education and connections. We also do a sync, a one-day sync uh, conference where we take music supervisors from all over the world and we ship them to LA and we put rights holders in front of them. And it gives us a chance to connect and pitch our music and build relationships there, which ultimately ends up in more sync opportunities. Um, and then we do the Libero Awards, which is the Independent Music Awards. So. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's another full-time job. Yes. Yeah. No, I don't, I sleep sometimes. Like <laughs> no, I do sleep. I promise. It's just, um, I love what I do. And jumping into the A2IM advocacy side of this has been something I did not initially think about when I initially took over as CEO of the label, you know, we joined A2IM just to be part of a trade organization that would represent for our rights. Um, it also gave us opportunity to network and connect. It's what gave me the mentorship program connection with Tony from Sub Pop and Jimmy from Fixed. And, you know, it wasn't until about nine months into our membership that I, I, I tend to dive headfirst into things. And so one of the uh, employees at H2AM was like, hey, would you be interested in being part of the advisory board? And I was like, oh, I don't know if I have time. They're like, it's it's a meeting a month. Like, and we just, we just would love to hear your advice on the streaming gaming side of things and how to deal with it because it's, it's, it's a tough subject for a lot of uh, labels and musicians right now. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure, I can handle that. And then I dove headfirst into that. And I've actually found that I really, really love doing that advocacy work because it makes things better for labels. It makes things better for our artists and it helps keep the independent sector alive. And so um, that's probably, it eats up another five to 10 hours a week for me, um, but it is absolutely worth it 100% if I can make even a small change, even in the DMCA um, changes that are being proposed. Like if I can even do one piece of that, that'll make me feel better about the current state of the music industry. So Awesome. Well, I, I, I'm sure musicians across the industry, even if they don't know your name, will appreciate the impact that you're having. I just, I, I hope, I hope so. I hope they, uh, I hope it's just better for them that they never really, especially the newer artists that are coming in that aren't necessarily, familiar with the industry and how it's been for so long. Um, the goal is that they never really have to experience some of the, the harder things about the music industry. Hopefully they will, they will have changed by then. Yeah. You, as, as we were kind of talking before the show began, you mentioned uh, you kind of had a big announcement last week for the label. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so, and it's not so much the label more our, are not not technically our sister company. So when we were initially founded, we were just the label. And then uh, two of the founders, Nate Beck and uh, Ryan Caps, aka uh, McLaffy Taffy on Twitch, and we call him Taffy. So if I use that term, that's who I'm referring to. They realized that 
a label at the time that had only 450, you know, tracks could not necessarily fulfill the needs of a live streamer who broadcasts from four to six hours a day. It would only get the music for about three days before they would basically be rotating back into the beginning of the catalog, right? So the goal that we had of, you know, solving the problem for content creators, our music really does well for produced content because you typically only need one to two you know, pieces um, for YouTube video, but on a live streaming side of it, we couldn't sign music fast enough um, without compromising the promotion for the artists to fill the needs of the content creators that were streaming live. And so they decided to branch off and they still support 99 Lives, but their full-time job became Pretzel Rocks. And Pretzel Rocks is a music player for content creators. And what they do is they not just sign, they didn't just sign us, but they also signed you know, Big Giant Circles and uh, Approaching Nirvana's catalog and other labels that had 200% ownership. They owned both the masters and the publishing. And they they all signed them and they put them into this player. And then content creators could pay a monthly fee and that money would go to the rights holders and then obviously keeping the platform up. So they formed that in 2017. And then um, at one point... The company split and then late 2017, they merged back again. So we were the same company, Pretzel Rocks and 99 Lives. We were under the same parent company for three years. Um, back in January 2020, we split them apart so that Pretzel Rocks might have an opportunity to take on funding if they decided to, because up to this point, it's been bootstrapped. Um, so Nate took that company, went separate, and I've been managing 99 Lives separately. Uh, that being said, we shared you know, technology, um, all of our technology is homegrown. Like we, we built our royalty payment system. We built our database, our website, like we're tech savvy people that happen to jump into music. Um, so all of our tech is homegrown. Uh, so this past week, it was announced that Pretzel Rocks, um, which is now under the company Pretzel Ox, was acquired by SongTrader. And so this is something that we've been working on for the past two months. Um, we've been working on separating the last of the IP between the two companies. Um, and a lot of my team had worked on the work for Pretzel Rocks um, and they got a chance to kind of see, you know, some funds come back out of that, which is really cool. And then Song Trader, who is a digital and sync licensing platform, they are based in Australia. And Paul, the CEO there, is really cool guy. Um, I'm really excited. Um, I've watched mergers happen and they don't always play out well. Mixer was one of those that was really unfortunate to watch. I don't believe this is it. Uh, Song Trader has the same vision that Prezel Rocks does, which is how do we help content creators, but how do we also make sure that rights holders are paid, right? Our model where we allow content creators to use the music for free really serves the content creator, but it doesn't necessarily you know, provide additional funds for our artists. And that's sometimes can be frustrating. Um, but, you know, we, we, we're sticking by the metal because we're supporting what we chose to do. But now there's going to be an outlet, an opportunity where a content creator can budget for a reasonable monthly fee to help compensate my artists for the work they've done. Um, Song Trader has that same vision. So it's incredible news. They have so many ideas over the next year or so to grow and build out new features. Um, Paul and Nate get along really well, which is also good. And mm -hmm. uh, they took on the whole team. 
Like they wanted everybody. Um, so that whole team got hired. And uh, I think that this is going to open up quite a few doors also for us because they they do sync licensing and they actually have a really incredible platform for allowing individual artists to get their music out there for sync as well. Okay. So. Terrific. Sounds very exciting. Um, so now that that, that um, separation of intellectual property and that, that merger has kind of happened, what uh, what's next for 99 lives over the next year or two? Uh, so the next year or two, we're really focusing on some of the grassroots marketing that we've been doing and how to fine tune it. We are also starting to um, see a return on the work I did over the past year. So last year we became Merlin uh, network members. Um, I'm not sure. Do you know who the Merlin network is perchance? What is that? No, I don't. What is okay. okay. That mean? So the, the Merlin network um, was, is a network of independent labels that, they basically were like, we can't negotiate individually the way the majors can with Spotify, right? So the Merlin Network was just a bunch of independent artists that came together. They hired um, lawyers and people to represent them. And they said, okay, we're going to negotiate as multiple labels together with these digital service providers to try to get same deals that, you know, the majors do. And so you can, as an independent label, um, you have a certain size catalog and under a certain size catalog as well, uh, you can join the Merlin network and, you know, take part in those deals. So we finally were able to get in last year. Um, that also required us to switch distributors. So we've moved from TuneCore to Fuga and Fuga has been incredible. They have so many like just great label services, their support team, the team that develops the product, they're very passionate. They, every single one of them will talk to you. It doesn't matter what role they're in. Um, it's not like you get pushed through a queue. Um, they're just really great humans that are very passionate about, you know, having a good relationship between music and the stores. So we switched all that. So over the past year, we've, we've seen a lot of growth for us from those moves that we've made. And now we're reinvesting it back into the label. So, um, we are delving into taking some of our music that is more kind of pop EDM crossovers and actually pushing it to radio, which is not wow. something we've ever done in the past. Yeah. Um, we have a bunch of really cool tools now where we can pitch playlisting at a whole different level uh, because of Merlin. Um, and we have, you know, started trying to revisit some of our artists that may have only released once or twice with us and find a way to release with them again and help them do things like clean up their profiles, um, try to get some of them verified. We're now looking into doing some TikTok campaigns over the next year because uh, EDM is super fast and fantastic for shuffle, shuffle TikTokers. Um, so we're playing mm -hmm. with that. Um, we are looking to do some collaborations with a couple of video game companies. So in the past, we've always just, you know, nuanced, artwork towards the video game and the theme. And now we're talking about actually working with the video game and seeing if we can do a, a collaborative effort um, and promote. So just really embracing our video game and robot culture and having some fun with it. And in the process, trying to bring more recognition to the artists that we sign. So that's the plan this next year. That sounds exciting and like a lot of work and, and uh, at the same time. <laughs> So awesome. Awesome. Well, um, what's the best way for people to connect with a label and find your artists? Yeah. Um, so 
if you're on Spotify, if you listen to Spotify, our playlists um, are curated by Ryan, our A&R guy that also does curation for Pretzel. So um, check out 99 Lives profile and by all means, follow this playlist, um, listen to them, feel free to give us feedback on them, jump into the Discord. Uh, we all try to listen and take that feedback into account. We do game nights um, uh, once every couple of weeks in our Discord. They are things like Among Us. Sometimes we do trivia nights. Sometimes we do Jackbox games. Um, and then, of course, you know, on socials, uh, everything is 99 Live without the S. So that's okay. where you can find us. Terrific. Well, well, Heather, I really appreciate your time today. And it's it's been a great conversation. And I, I know my listeners are really going to enjoy this. Thank you. I really appreciate um, you allowing me to kind of talk a little bit about what we do. And, you know, if anyone has questions, they're always welcome to DM us on Twitter and I will do my best to answer. Um, I'm trying really hard to educate and share instead of keep everything behind the, the walled garden, uh, as most of the music industry is. And um, I want that to be different. So please feel free to reach out. All right. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. Okay, heroes. As promised, here's the big announcement that held this podcast up for almost a year. So Heather, I understand you've, you've got a big announcement. I do. Um, so back in April, we, you know, we heard that Pretzel Rocks was acquired by SongTrader and they are a, sync driven platform licensing they're all about supporting individual diy artists and helping them get their music out there not just to stores as a distributor but to you know out to sync pitching platforms um, and getting placements which is a good you know source of revenue for a lot of writers composers and artists and producers um, so in those conversations i got to meet paul and uh, paul came up with this idea that he was like we have production music catalogs but we don't have a label. We don't have a um, commercially released, you know, music in house. And he was a songwriter um, for years. If you get a chance to look at his background, he's done some crazy cool things. I even think he partially wrote something for the Backstreet Boys. Um, <laughs> so cool guy. But he became intrigued with this idea of having a label. And he asked how I would feel if I would be willing to run it. And I told him, it's like, not without my label, like, that goes with me. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about acquiring 99 lives. And I was like, wow. Okay, go on. Um, so we, we talked it over and um, I got really, really excited with this idea of, you know, what could we do if we had the resources of SongTrader, who has a full marketing department, who gets the vision that we do of trying to work with content creators and be that good middleman, um, but at the same time is a songwriter who understands how hard it is to kind of build and grow yourself. Um, and I've always had this vision of eventually, you know, being able to sign artists for a little bit more with a little bit more favorable terms, so a little bit longer, and then growing and developing them, and he gets it. So we, um, <laughs> started the conversation and we just finished and signed the paperwork and you know 99 lives is now going to be a song trader label um it's going to be one of a few and um he has built out this whole team that is focused on providing artists with a way to focus on their creativity and less on the uh, admin side of everything and same thing with labels right so I'm really excited. We have a couple really crazy ideas that I'm hoping work out. Um, but he is just incredibly supportive and he gets it. Like he's a writer, so he understands it. So 
I'm excited because I never considered acquisition for 99 Lives, but if we're going to do it, having it acquired by a company that's run by a songwriter is kind of the best fit. So I'm excited for what we're going to be able to do with the catalog we've already released, trying to bring more money to our artists that way, more featured placements, um, and try to get you know, even that catalog out there and grow those artists and, and get some recognition for what they're doing there. And then even upcoming artists, giving them a chance to have access to the resources and tools that a company like SongTrader has and help grow and develop them and just do some fun, cool, quirky things with the content creation world. Um, so I'm, I'm incredibly over the moon excited about it. I get started soon. Um, just keep an eye out. We're going to be doing some crazy cool things. That is fantastic. And that's that's got to be incredibly validating too for some other company to look at you and go, wow, these guys are doing something so successful. We we want to bring them into the family, so to speak, want to look for some synergies between the two. I hope so. I hope being an inspiration would be kind of a cool place to be. Um, everything I do is driven with the goal of how do I get more money into my artist pockets. Um, so it's it's actually kind of cool to get the support of a company and a songwriter that just I know I keep saying it, but they get it, right? It's, yeah. it's not an easy business. Um, and, you know, our artists are passionate about what they do and giving them a shot to just do it for the rest of their life and still make a living at it. That's kind of really amazing. Yeah. Well, that is awesome. And congratulations again. Thanks. That's it for this week. If you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you subscribe and spend a second leaving a rating and review wherever you're listening. That really helps me reach more producers and help them out, and it helps keep the podcast going. Until next time, this is the House Ninja reminding you to be somebody's hero today.